Hello and welcome to the Jared White Show, episode 13, recorded August 27th, 2018. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. Today's a special episode, and I do mean special because it's all about Mastodon. What is Mastodon? Who's behind it? What's it for? What does it do? I'll be getting into all of that. In a nutshell, Mastodon is the software powering a new generation of social networks. Social networks, plural, that is. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But first, who created Mastodon? Well, it was started by Eugen Rochko. He lives in Germany. He goes by the handle Gargron on GitHub and other places. Uh, He's a programmer. He built some social software forums, that sort of thing, um, way back in the day before he started work on Mastodon. Um, But Mastodon is the project for which he's known for today. Uh, Eugen's employed full-time via Patreon. He gets uh, supported by a a legion of folks who uh, want him to be able to to work full-time on Mastodon. Uh, Eugen worked with Chris Weber on the Activity Pub spec, and Mastodon is its first major implementation. So I mentioned before that Mastodon is software that powers open-source social networking. It is itself an open-source project, Um, So what does that mean? Well, think about Twitter for a minute, because Mastodon is very much like Twitter in its basic interface and and way that people use it. Um, So when you go to Twitter, when you use the app or you use the website at twitter.com, you're going to a single destination. Uh, It's not a single server because they might have thousands of servers running the Twitter service. But essentially, it's a single destination at Twitter.com. You can't go to Twaddle.com and somehow interact with people on Twitter.com. <laughs> it's, it's just one service. You sign up for that service. You use that service. It's a commercial service. It's proprietary. The app is not open source. The service is not open source. It does not use open protocols. So you can't run your own service and interact with Twitter I can't, if I use my own service, I can't follow you on Twitter and have you follow me. Everything has to happen through and on Twitter. And so we're all familiar with that centralized model. It makes sense, it works, but there's a lot of problems with it. And we're increasingly seeing all of the problems that come with having a centralized uh, social network like Twitter be, be so huge and so influential in our lives. Uh, the problems of fake news, Nazis and other unsavory characters, and there's nothing that we, the the average people, can do about it. We have to trust that the powers that be at Twitter, who run the service, will do the right thing and you know keep the keep the community healthy. Uh, and again, <laughs> we're seeing a lot of problems with that sort of approach. So Mastodon's totally different. Basically, with Mastodon, you can run your own instance of Mastodon. You can think of it as your own little neighborhood where you run the Mastodon software on a server of your choosing, uh, and then you have the ability for people to sign up to use that instance of Mastodon. So for example, I have an instance running now at openweb.social. You can go right now in your web browser to openweb.social, and you'll see that you can sign up to use that Mastodon instance. And what that means is you can create an account there Say Jane Doe 
at openweb.social, and that's now your handle. So when you use that instance of Mastodon, uh, you can follow other people throughout the federated social network, and I'll explain how that works in a moment, uh, and people can follow you. So someone on some completely different instance of Mastodon somewhere else can follow you if they know that your handle is Jane Doe at openweb.social. I'm Jared at openweb.social, so any, if you want, you can follow me. If you're logged into any instance of Mastodon, pretty much, all you have to do is go to search and just type at jared at openweb.social, and you will be able to follow me. You'll be able to see my profile. You'll be able to interact with me, and I'll see that you've followed me, and I can follow you. So how does that work? How is it possible? How is it possible that I can run my own instance of Mastodon? I can download the software, install it into my server, and run it. How is it possible that my instance of Mastodon can talk with any number of instances of Mastodon elsewhere? Thousands, potentially. How, how does that work? Well, it works because of federation. Federation is a concept that's been around for a while now in the realm of social networks, but it feels like it's really taking off now. I titled this episode Mastodon's Moment because of the rise of Mastodon in popular mass market arenas. Everyone's talking about it. Um, but really, the big story here is federated social networks. So there's a protocol called ActivityPub, and that's an open protocol just like HTML is or HTTP or any of the other technologies that power the open web. Uh, the ActivityPub protocol describes how to have open protocols that talk to each other and enable this concept of federation social networking. So how that works is if I log into my instance, openweb.social, and I follow somebody on another instance, uh, a big one is actually called mastodon.social. So if I follow someone there, that now creates a two-way relationship, not just between that account and my account, but between that instance of Mastodon and my instance of Mastodon. So now those two instances can share all kinds of data, all kinds of relationships, uh, and information can be passed back and forth. So it's kind of like a much more advanced next generation iteration of the, the sort of concept where you can have your email address at Gmail, so you can be... Uh, jackdawson at gmail.com, and you can email me, but I don't have to use Gmail. I don't have to be on Gmail. I don't have to use any Google services. I can have my own email address hosted elsewhere with some other company, but as long as you have that email address, you can send me messages, and I can send you messages because it's all based on open protocols. And so that's the magic and the beauty and the power of Mastodon and of other projects like that that use federated social networking protocols that are open, open source, and, and open specifications. Uh, you can have that kind of interaction. So, you know, I can have my social network account on my own instance, or I can set one up on some other instance if I want to join it. Uh, and then I can follow people, and they can follow me, and it, it's all enabled through the open web. So this is a really, really amazing concept. And the question is, well, <laughs> why isn't that just how everything works? Like, why do we have Twitter? Why don't, don't we just have federated open source social networks as the way that we all use social networks? Like, you know, what's going on here? Well, I, I, think, I think there's a few reasons for that. I think there's some historical reasons. I think there's some technical reasons. Uh, I'll mainly focus on the historical reasons, which is that when Twitter started out and when it really started to become big, 
uh, I think there was a big mismatch between what uh, people thought Twitter was and what the people creating Twitter thought it was. Um, I think they thought that they were creating a business, a sort of classic Silicon Valley style business, the kind of model we're all familiar with, where you know you have a bunch of user generated content come into your platform and then you monetize that through ads. You know, it's a proven business model. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Facebook was getting quite big and successful with that model. And so I think the powers that be at Twitter just saw themselves as, you know, simply following in those footsteps. And they didn't feel like it would be controversial for anybody to, to go that route. Uh, meanwhile, I think a lot of people who are actually using Twitter and excited about it and trying to promote it really saw Twitter as something else. They saw it as a kind of like a public utility. It's like this sort of basic infrastructure of the internet. And they, I think they assumed that because the people that ran Twitter knew that too, that Twitter, you know, w w was benevolent. It was, it was a good thing. It wasn't something to be feared. It wasn't something to be upset about. And, uh, you know, so we could all sort of trust it to be to be something that's good and useful for everyone, uh, much like uh, YouTube at that time. You know, YouTube started in the early 2000s, and it was this platform that could host videos, and it was great for people to be able to use that because it was really, really hard to host videos. It was hard to, to, to even be able to, you know, figure out how to encode videos in such a way that, that people could watch them. You know, you need to have, like, flash players and all kinds of weird stuff, and there were all these different codecs to figure out, and all kinds of bandwidth problems because the internet in the early 2000s was much lower bandwidth than what we're accustomed to today. Um, so much like YouTube make vi made video on the internet really easy and, and possible for the, for the mass audiences, uh, Twitter made you know, posting short messages and getting it out there to your followers really easy for everyone. You know, it was just so easy to get onto Twitter to create an account and to just start posting these cute little messages and being able to reply to people and you know, push those out to your followers, find interesting people to follow, see their cute little messages come in, you know, click the little you know, favorite stars as before it became hearts for some weird reason. So, you know, I think everyone saw Twitter at first as this nice, fun, you know, sort of innovative take on, on, you know, broadcasting messages across the internet. Uh, and it really wasn't until a few years later, 2012 to 2013 era, I feel like, is when people really started seeing Twitter as, as being uh, something other than just nice and fun and benevolent. Uh, this is when you started to see the rise of, of various alternatives to Twitter. Uh, App.net was a big one. It was another commercial offering by a corporate entity, um, but App.net claimed that uh, their service was a better idea than Twitter's because they wanted to actually charge people to use it. And it wasn't going to be supported by ad revenue, and that way uh, the the you know the needs of the users and and the platform would be aligned, and App.net would support third-party apps and clients to interface with it. And so you know it, it sounded great in theory, but <laughs> the reality was App.net really didn't go anywhere. Uh, so there's just been this this sort of void where more and more people are realizing you know we should not be using centralized corporate-run services like Twitter for just basic discussion online. You know, we should be able to post short messages and interact with people and reply to other people's little messages. Uh, we should be able to do that online, but it should be through, 
you know, open source, open protocols, open software, and, you know, it shouldn't be controlled by a single corporation in a single location with a with a small group of people calling the shots. That's just crazy. That That's like if the entire web was just controlled by one company, like every website had to be published on and hosted by a single company. I mean, that just sounds completely insane, <laughs> but that's essentially where we've been when it comes to you know, exchanging these little short messages with each other online. So the question, of course, is, well, why has it taken this long to, to see a real replacement? Um, I, I, I'm honestly not sure. I think part of the problem is that uh, not enough really smart, talented programmers have uh, taken it upon themselves to try to solve this problem. You know, it, it, it's pretty hard to think, like, you know, you as, as just some person... Uh, can take on <laughs> a ginormous Silicon Valley company like Twitter. Uh, and plus, there's the whole network effect problem where, you know, once everyone's on a service like Twitter, uh, convincing them that they need to leave Twitter and go somewhere else is really challenging. You know, if if you've spent years to build up a, a big following on Twitter, you know, if you have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter telling telling that person, oh, just leave Twitter, say goodbye, start all over again on this other service and just hope people show up to you know, consume your content. Uh, that's a really hard sell for, for anyone that's, you know, genuinely trying to, uh, you know, to, to make a living or to, to get the word out about things. Um, so, you know, so you have this sort of uh, chicken and egg problem where, you know, you need lots and lots of people using a social network to make it valuable. But in order to get all those people onto the social network, it already needs to be valuable because of having a lot of people on it. <laughs> So that's a big problem. But that's why Mastodon is so fascinating to me. Somehow, I'm not sure exactly why, but somehow Eugen and the other contributors that have been building Mastodon, somehow they've managed to create something that is actually appealing to a lot of people, enough so that you have a lot of geeks and people that like to live on the cutting edge, um, you know, joining Mastodon instances or setting up their own and being part of the, the Federated Social Network Universe, also called the Fediverse. <laughs> and uh, so now, now we see something that's absolutely phenomenal. It's Mastodon's moment. I mean, I, I knew that something was happening when I saw an article on Esquire's website, Esquire of all publications, talking about Mastodon. Uh, so this this is a, a real a real thing, folks. Mastodon's not going to go away. It's not just going to dry up and blow away and disappear and fade into the sunset anytime soon. Uh, it's a real thing. Uh, I've, I'm seeing a lot of people in the computer, tech, media, publishing industries uh, getting on Mastodon and trying it out. Like, I mean, some big names. Like, I personally uh, know about a lot of uh, podcasters in the tech space, such as Jason Snell and John Syracuse and, you know, when you see people like that, like joining and actively participating on something like Mastodon, uh, you know, you know that they're busy people. Like, you know, they have real businesses to run. They have real people to talk to. Uh, they're not going to be just jumping on this thing for for, you know, on a lark for the heck of it. They're, they're going to do it if they feel like there's there's a there there. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to see both familiar faces and new people coming onto the, the platform and the network uh, every day, I'm I'm getting a, a huge kick out of using Mastodon. 
Um, and one other thing I'm very excited about, and I'll get into this a little bit more shortly, um, but because Mastodon is open source, you don't have to use the Mastodon software itself in order to, to interact with people on these Mastodon instances. You can use third-party applications, just like people have in the past with Twitter. So, you know, just like in the past, and still to some extent today, but this is getting increasingly difficult because Twitter is really coming down hard on third parties. Um, but back in the day, you know, you could go to the App Store on your iPhone or on your Android phone, and you could search for third-party Twitter clients and find things like TweetBot and Twitterific and so forth. Um, and you're starting to be able to do that now with Mastodon. You can get third-party clients, install them on your phone, uh, and, and interact you know, using an interface that you personally like and are comfortable with. And you know, not everything's for everybody. Like an app that I might really like that interfaces with Mastodon, uh, you might not like that app. You might like a different one. And that's what's so awesome about having a social network that supports third-party applications and encourages that. Uh, everyone can use an app that they're familiar with, but they can still have access to the same people, the same messages, and everyone can communicate with each other. It's a beautiful thing. And it goes even one step further. Because Mastodon itself is built upon these open protocols like ActivityPub, there are actually other platforms, not Mastodon, but other platforms that can, that can interact with the Mastodon networks. So uh, PixelFed, for instance, is a project under development uh, that's a social network uh, more like Instagram. So it's very much focused on photos and images and people are into photography and so, uh, you know, so once that project is uh, really off and running, uh, you could go on to PixelFed and uh, sign up for an account on one of the instances of PixelFed and have an account there. But you could use that account on PixelFed to follow people on Mastodon, uh, and people on Mastodon could follow people on PixelFed. So it's completely different than now. Like, can you imagine how cool it'd be if you were using Instagram and you could follow someone on Twitter? So if someone on Twitter was posting, you know, images of their art, you could see that through Instagram or vice versa. You're on Twitter and you want to follow some people on Instagram so you can see their photos alongside people you follow. Uh, th this is all possible with open federated social networks. And again, it's just what makes this whole concept so amazing and so powerful. All right, so we've covered what's Mastodon. We've covered uh, Eugene Rockko, who created Mastodon, and, and he and a bunch of other open source software contributors are pushing Mastodon forward. So now we get into the Q&A section of this show. I asked people on Mastodon to, uh, to send in their questions, so I got a couple here that are really awesome. So first of all, Fern writes in and says... I love Mastodon. It's the only social network I'm currently using. I have no more patience for ads and non-chronological feeds. I tried bringing some friends over, but they said it's too complicated, nerdy, and not for them, and they left. I even picked the instances for them so they didn't have to deal with that. I just keep wondering, what's so complicated? Is it just an excuse masking the real reason they don't want to join? What can be done to help the non-tech people join us? Well, thank you so much for that question, Fern. Uh, I have some thoughts about that. Uh, I think there are a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, uh, again, it comes back to that chicken and egg scenario. You know, you need to have all the people on the network before it's attractive to people who want to join the network. <laughs> uh, so, so Fern, I would say if you have friends 
that uh, don't know if anyone they care about or are interested in talking to or interacting with or following, if they don't know if anyone like that is on Mastodon, they might not be interested. Uh, so the first thing I, I would say is, you know, find out what they're interested in. Find out if there's a particular topic or a particular individual or just, you know, people in general that they would find interesting you know, for, for whatever reason, and then see if there are people like that on Mastodon. And if you can tell them like, hey, you know, you can follow this person and this person and this person, and they're on Mastodon and they're posting all this cool stuff about, you know, topic, whatever it is, uh, then that might make it more desirable. Right now, it's pretty hard to, to do some of the search and discovery kind of stuff, like to find accounts on particular topics you're interested in. You basically just have to do a lot of searching of hashtags and kind of you know, using hashtags, find people who are talking about different things and follow them. So I hope the discovery process continues to get better and improve um, on Mastodon and, and other federated social networks. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say is uh, we really need lots and lots of third-party apps. We need really good ones that are high quality. You know, telling someone to just, you know, go to a Mastodon site in their browser on their phone it's probably going to be a hard sell because the, the interface may be a little clumsy or difficult. You know, they just want to be able to tap an icon on their phone and see a really nice timeline of cool stuff, just like they do with Twitter or Instagram. Uh, so we need those third-party apps that can interface with Mastodon servers that provide, you know, just absolutely awesome user experiences. And I think once people start to see those those great user experiences and start being able to have, you know, as good as or even better experiences through these apps than they do with apps like Twitter and Instagram and so forth, um, that's going to be a huge step forward. And I feel like that's starting to happen now. I'm, I'm trying out some apps that are kind of in beta that are just starting to, to, uh, to get used by people. And I'm seeing some cool stuff that's coming down the pike. So, so Fern, I think, you know, just stick with it. Uh, keep talking to people. And this is only going to get bigger and better from here on out. And the second question today from Rafa. Rafa asks, who's the driving force behind innovation on the platform, designing and building new features? And how easy is it for instances to stay up to date with all the new changes? Um, so I'm not sure about that last question. I do run my own instance of Mastodon at openweb.social, um, but I just installed that. So I'm not sure how easy it is to upgrade. I'm hoping it's pretty easy. I am a Ruby on Rails software developer myself. That's my trade. And Mastodon's built with Ruby on Rails. Um, so I'm feeling pretty confident that I understand how the upgrade process will go. And I think it's going to be pretty simple. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, people that have a lot of experience with running Mastodon servers, uh, they can probably speak to that better than I. As far as driving force behind innovation on the platform, designing and building new features, uh, I think a lot of that is Eugen. I think, you know, he he certainly is, you know, the person that calls the shots at the end of the day in terms of what goes in the Mastodon and what doesn't and sort of the vibe behind how that gets built out. Um, you know, but again, I know there are a lot of other contributors on GitHub. It, it's an it's an open source project, you know, and at the end of the day, if there's something that the community is clamoring for that really needs and for whatever reason, Eugen just simply refuses to provide that. The beauty of open source is that it is open. Anyone can use that code. You know, someone can go on to GitHub. They can fork Mastodon. They can build some new stuff. 
you know, someone could maybe run an instance that's a fork of Mastodon that has changes. And as long as the ActivityPub protocol is in place that, you know, facilitates this open communication between instances of Mastodon and between different social networks, then it's just going to work. You know, so I'm Jared at openweb.social. And if I follow you, you know, so-and-so at suchandsuch.com, and that instance is not actually Mastodon. It's a variant of Mastodon that has some, you know, differences in interface or, you know, some extra bits for searching or whatever it is that people have worked on, you know, that's just going to work. And that's what's so amazing. That's what's so powerful about this concept of federated social networks and having open source code bases for, for you know, setting up instances and having all this stuff talk to each other. Uh, I just think, you know, we're, we're, we're at the point now where, where the basics are in place. You know, we, we essentially have a Twitter clone in the Fediverse. And now that that's in place, the innovation can just explode. I mean, we can go places that Twitter can't even figure out, like, what the heck they're doing. <laughs> and then we can just go there because we, the community, can drive this whole thing forward. So, you know, while Twitter is over trying to figure out if they're going to ban Nazis or not, uh, we can build new experiences, we can create new apps, we can set up new instances, and this whole new world of federated social networking can just grow and thrive. And I just think, you know, we're going to see in the next year, in the next couple years, uh, we're going to see an explosion, an absolute explosion of ideas and experiences and communications that are, are really going to feel like the early days of the web again. You know, those those heady days of the early web when it just seemed like, you know, every every month, every day, there was like some amazing new website or experience or technology that was driving the web forward. I, I think we're going to see that same pace now when it comes to social networks. And I'm so excited about that because let's face it. Facebook and Twitter have been really stale for a while now. I mean, the Facebook of today essentially is the Facebook of five years ago, six years ago. I mean, Twitter, like what's really changed with Twitter? I mean, Twitter grew in the early days where you know, you had the whole concept of hashtags show up. You know, you had uh, the concept of different conventions people had like around retweeting and so forth. And then at some point that all just stopped and there's just not been nothing new to, about Twitter really, except for weird things they've built that nobody's really asking for, like moments or something like, I don't know anyone who uses moments, who wants moments, who thinks moments is cool. I don't have any idea why Twitter has been promoting moments so much. It's just, it's a feature <laughs> that is just not what people are asking for on Twitter. Um, but, uh, anyway, the long and the short of it is Facebook and Twitter have gotten stale. Uh, everyone got excited about Snapchat for a while, but then they haven't figured out what the heck Snapchat is. So that product is just going nowhere and they're losing users and they're, they don't even know what they're doing over there at Snapchat. Uh, so I really don't see any innovation, any really exciting, interesting things going on with any commercial social networks right now. Uh, Instagram is really probably the only network, the only app where I feel like overall it's, it's a pretty solid experience. It's pretty great. There's a really great community there. I really do like Instagram, you know, as a, as a person, I, I might have problems with the fact that it is a, a commercial proprietary platform owned by a single corporation, but all that aside, like Instagram is pretty cool. But other than that, I just don't see anything going on out there that seems really awesome, that seems interesting. However, 
with social networks that are based on open source software, on open protocols like ActivityPub. Uh, we're just we're just at that beginning point where everything's going to be up and to the right, like a hockey stick. I mean, the growth is just starting to explode now. Innovation is exploding. Uh, third-party applications, uh, new services that can all interact with each other. I mean, we're just going to see this grow and grow. So I'm hugely, hugely excited about it. And I hope this program is the first of many to talk about Mastodon and the rest of the, the Fediverse. All right, folks, that's all I have for today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Please let me know your, your ideas, your thoughts, your feedback, your questions. Uh, send me an email, jared at jaredwhite.com. Or go to my website, jaredwhite.com. Or if you want, you can follow me on Mastodon or some other instance of your choosing of some federated social network out there. Or you can find me at jared at openweb.social. That's my handle, at jared at openweb.social. All right, thanks very much, and I'll see you next week. Bye.